Welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast with me, Tony Dickerson. Each fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, pest control, garden design, growing your own fruit and vegetables. And expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. Plus we bring you behind the scenes reports from the stunning RHS flower shows and give you exclusive guides to the beautiful gardens to visit. There are four RHS gardens in the UK, Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire, Rosemore in Devon, Wisley in Surrey and Hyde Hall in Essex. On this edition we travel to Devon with plantsman Matthew Biggs to the RHS garden Rosemore for an exclusive tour of Lady Anne's former garden. Matthew will be joined by Head of Site Sally Charlton to explore the delights of the garden through the seasons. He'll also take a walk through Rosemore's cottage, Mediterranean and rose gardens with the gardeners who care for them and Rosemore's experts will be giving us invaluable tips for what you should be doing in your garden now with advice on fruit and veg, trimming hedges and lawn maintenance. Plus, as always, we'll have news on the latest events across all four RHS gardens. So let's join Matthew Biggs on a tour of RHS Garden Rosemore with Head of Site Sally Charlton. My name is Matthew Biggs and I'm with Sally Charlton, who's the Head of Site here at Rosemore. Sally, where exactly in the country is Rosemore? Rosemore's in North Devon and uh, we hug the River Torridge, which is just behind the trees over there. And it's about seven miles from Biddeford and about 12 from Barnstable. So fairly near the coast, actually. It's very near the coast, yes. But primarily this estate was built here as a fishing lodge. So it's all about the river, really. Uh, And that river must affect the growing conditions. What's the climate like? The garden is situated in quite a, a shallow valley running from north to south. And so actually we have quite extremes of weather. It's quite a frost pocket when that time of year comes. We get quite a bit of rain, which is why the garden looks so beautiful and green. And it's an acidic soil, quite heavy clay. So in preparation, when we took over Rosemore, there was a lot of drainage and underground works to be done before we could start any planting. Uh, And what was the story? Because this uh, started out as a private garden, I believe. It did. In 1931, Lady Anne Palmer, her father died. It was his fishing lodge, and that's when she moved here permanently with her mother. And then during the war years, actually, the Red Cross took over the house, Rosemore House, and used it to help people that were bombed in London. They came out here for recuperation. So it wasn't until after the war she moved in as a permanent home with her mother. And uh, she was recovering from a bout of measles and went abroad to recuperate. And that's where she did a lot of travelling and her love of plants came in. And she was introduced to Collingwood Ingram, known as Cherry Ingram. And he fostered her love of collecting plants and trees, specimens and that's why her part of the garden is very historic and has a great deal of collections in there. What's her part of the garden like? Have you maintained it as it was? We have developed it and I'm glad to say she loves it. She still comes over from New Zealand where she is now. So in 1988 she gifted the estate to the RHS and at that time what you're actually seeing today right in front of us here, this wonderful garden, was pasture land for sheep. She let it out to farmers to to graze. So it's quite incredible to me that what we're looking at is only 23 years old and the RHS has developed this. But her part of the garden was about six acres centred round the house which is at the north North end of the site there and uh, much of her collection is still there but of course the RHS has developed that. Is it a designer's garden, the original part of the garden, or a plant person's garden? It's definitely a plant person's garden. I think she would be the first to say it's quite eccentric planting. In fact, her gardener at the time, who worked for the RHS for a little while afterwards, said, you know, she had no interest, really, in where the plants went. Her passion was collecting the specimens and she'd say, you can plant this now. And what do you want to offer the public? What's your aim? 
I think what Rosemore gives people... It, one level, it's a wonderful West Country garden. It gives a lot of inspiration to people in this area about what they can grow. The roses are a case in point. The West Country is not the best place to grow roses with the rainfall we have. Um, but we've managed that and people are excited to learn how and, and how they can do that. And I think this room scenario, they're quite nice, manageable spaces that people can actually envisage their own garden. So it inspires them. It isn't too daunting. So we've got various gardens, the hot garden, I'm sure you'll see later, the rose garden, the winter garden and they're quite contained as I say so they do tend to inspire people and give them ideas about what they can do to show what's possible. So take us through the highlights of the seasons. Well today we're here in August and of course the roses have been um, fantastic this year about three weeks late but that uh, didn't matter because other things were late in the garden so we had um, azaleas and magnolias for people that came early but during that week our rose week and rose weekend we have about a thousand people a day come specifically to see the roses and to smell that wonderful perfume um, and then of course the hot garden is completely in its prime now and it's a, a wonderful discovery you, you come across a terrace and a wall and the garden is slowly revealed to you with all this wonderful uh, hot mix and that's only four years old so although we completed her master plan we obviously gardens are growing things we go back and we redevelop areas again uh, and autumn and winter, does the garden close down or fall asleep? Oh, oh, not at all, no. I think the garden comes into its own. I love the winter here because you really see the bare bones of the garden. You see that wonderful structure. We have a sculpture um, exhibition every winter where you can really see those. They're not fighting with, with the growing and the plants. We have one of the best um, winter gardens, certainly in the West Country and in the country as a whole, which is absolutely magnificent to our left here. And that used to be the actual extent of the garden open to the public. Um, but maybe you'll see later behind that now, you can just see through the oak trees there, we built a wonderful learning centre and felled some woodland to open up the woodland and go even further back into the estate. So Rosemore is growing and developing all the time. Matthew Biggs and Head of Site, Sally Charlton. You'll find details of Rosemore, its seasonal highlights and special events being held there on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash Rosemore. Here you can also find details of the three other RHS gardens, plus RHS partner gardens in your local area. Coming up, Matthew will be visiting his favourite parts of Rosemore, including the cottage, rose and Mediterranean gardens. But first, let's hear some tips on what you should be doing now in your own garden from the experts at Rosemore. Hi, my name's Peter Earle. I work in the fruit and vegetable garden here at Rosemore and have done for over 20 years now so I'm kind of just getting the hang of it. We're in the garden this morning, beautiful sunny morning and looking around we can see the garden really full on this year. After last year's washout this season has been just wonderful and, and most crops have really thrived this year especially those that need a bit of sunshine so really good growing season generally overall yeah. So things we're doing at the moment, we are really full on picking at the moment, picking, harvesting and generally um, reaping the benefits of all that hard work. So things like courgettes and runner beans, which are really coming in thick and fast at the moment. All the soft fruit has been good this year. We've just sort of got the tail end of the soft fruit coming in. So we're still picking blueberries, really good value crop um, because they've got a long season of picking. So a little and often they are. Obviously things like the black currants all come to once. So you've either got to sit down and make your jam or put it all in the freezer and deal with it later. We're also thinking about further ahead. So as well as picking, um, we're still trying to think about getting some crops established to take us through into the winter. So we're 
thinking about sowing our um, oriental greens. That's a nice range of veg which takes us into the autumn. Some late sowings of spinach and beetroot. Again, they take us through autumn and early winter. The glasshouse is full of cucumbers and tomatoes at the moment. We've got melons in the frames. So that's a lot of maintenance on those covered areas. So we need picking, side shooting, tying in, watching for pest and disease. So the most important thing is we've taken all this trouble to get this, this veg grime. We want to pick it at its best. So it's important to pick the runner beans before they get old. Um, we want to pick the courgettes before they get old. So kind of... Six to eight inches is nice for a courgette. Again, with the beetroots, they want lifting before they get old and woody. So, you know, they don't want to get to tennis ball size, really. It's more like golf ball size. And that's when you get the nice, juicy, succulent um, beetroots. Watch your corn. That'll be coming ready now. So the sweet corn, which has really enjoyed this sunny weather. Quite difficult to get it absolutely right. But watch for the tassels turning brown. And then just peel one back and just see how the, the cobs are developing inside because the beauty is to get those spot on and really sweet and, and juicy. So yeah, time to lift the onions now. The shallots have been lifted you know, a month ago now and, and dried off. And this, this weather's ideal to dry them outside, laid out on the ground. The onions we've just, again, just lifted and laid out on the ground. As the tops start to fold over naturally, we just ease them out the ground, lay them out to dry. If the weather turns a bit showery, then we get them under cover to finish the drying off. Um, and then when they're totally dried and the next down to dry papery string, we just string them up or put them in a net to store them for the winter. My name's uh, Dave Squire. I'm team leader of the decorative and nursery section here at Rosemore. And... Um, we're looking at quite a few different jobs in the garden at this time of the year, really. We've got hedge cutting pretty full on at the moment. We've got a lot of hedges here. So uh, we usually start into in mid-August and it continues right the way through, really, and even into the dormant months, simply because we have so many different hedges. Uh, we've got things like yew and privet and Portuguese laurel and also box and a small-leaved uh, holly called Ilex crenata so they're all being trimmed and kept neat at the moment. We've got quite a formal garden here so we really need to keep on top of the hedges which is quite important. If you have a flowering hedge say hypericum, potentilla that sort of thing you might actually let that uh, naturally flower through the summer because that's actually quite decorative at that time of year but if you've got something that you're growing particularly uh, in a formal or semi-formal area of, say, a small garden, and you're growing something like a privet or a yew, it really just looks better <laughs> all round when it's trimmed, really. You don't have to, um, but we tend to uh, delay our hedge trimming until usually middle of August, early middle of August, because we might have birds nesting at that time of year, and you really don't want to disturb them at all. If you're cutting your hedge first time and you want a line, it's quite important that you really... What we do at Rosemore is to put pegs in the ground marking a permanent line. In other words, they're only little stakes, about two or three inches high, but they give you a permanent line. So every year, if you really want to go to a bit of trouble, you can literally put an upright pole in next to each of those stakes which is running along your correct hedge line, and then you know that with the poles in place, all you need to do is cut along uh, the line of the poles and you've got a straight, straight edge, really. 
At the top, well, if you've got a height that you want to go to, all we do is we use canes and literally eye along the top of the canes. We don't use string because it sags. We eye along the top of the canes and that, and just cut them so they're all level and then literally follow the hedge line used doing that method. One of the really important jobs for September is lawn maintenance, the scarifying, overseeding, top dressing, spiking. What do you do here, Dave? Yeah, it's very similar to what we do. And it's so important for the grass because it's it's, its main once a year big tidy up and you, you're getting all the old thatch out of the, of the turf as well and giving it a real rejuvenate. It looks a bit shocked at the end of it, but it's amazing how strong it comes back. Dave, have you got any tricks of the trade? Well, I think really it's, it's not taking your eye off the ball with the turf. It's a 12-month-a-year thing, so yes, you can give it the once-a-year treatment, which is great, but keep an eye on it. If it starts to dry out, get a bit of water on it. The first sign of weeds or moss, try to get on top of it. Sounds a bit fussy, but it, as soon as you can spot something, do try to treat it. If it gets away from you, then you can be a bit of a problem. So spot it early and get onto it. Thanks to David and Pete. And remember, you can find further practical seasonal advice on our website, rhs.org.uk, where you can also find video guides to key jobs in the garden. I'm Tony Dickerson, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Rosemoyer has many highlights, so we asked Matthew to pick out some of his. Plus, we visit the Cottage and Mediterranean Gardens. But first, the Rose Garden with Phil Scott. My name's Philip Scott, uh... I'm a horticulturist at Rosemore and look after the roses and several other parts of the garden here. OK, we're uh, now standing in the shrub rose garden, which uh, highlights the older-fashioned roses, the old roses that people remember from the past, perhaps, and some of the more of the modern roses. To complement the rose growing, the, ro- the rose blooming, we have underplanting of Nepeta facenii, uh, Statius and Camassias early in the spring, but it's a very popular garden. At this time of year now, we're actually cutting back some of the old herbaceous material, uh, like the uh, uh, lady's mantle is sort of going over it, seeds everywhere unless you do cut it back. So we're cutting that hard back now. And by doing that, it's quite closely planted the base of roses. It gives the roses a chance to put that some of those new shoots. So it's a good tip now to clear away some of the herbaceous and let it regrow. We've got another seven or eight weeks now until October. So we should... Uh, it should it, just give the roses a bit of a help. Uh, also on some of the, like in the roses at the back there, Salciana, a damask. A lot of people have a lot of trouble with that damask because it can be quite a tall growing variety unless you look after it properly. The beauty of these once flowering roses, like the Gallicas, the Albers and damasks, they flower, as I said, just the once. So it's possible if you wanted to keep them in check to prune them now. What I tend to do really is just to lower the height a bit just to keep them compact and then in January I'll do the proper pruning of them. The uh, complementary planting on the, on, the, on the swags, we have swags in the middle of the garden where we've grown rambler roses. Rambler roses do particularly well on swags because the swags sort of go up on a tower and then a sort of slow loop to the other tower. The rambling roses are much more flexible and will fit onto that loop a lot better. If you use a, cl- a climbing rose, for instance, you'll find it's very angular and sticky and brings a rope up in different angles. But with a rambler, nice flexible stems and a good benefit to some of them is they're a little bit less thorny than others. And they fit the swags very nicely, but again, they're once flowering. 
So, well, in the majority of cases, they want flowering. So to complement that flowering and the season of interest, we've added clematis. It's important to use the late flowering clematis. Don't go for the early flowering clematis. Clematis, generally speaking, the flower after June will fit in well with the rose routine. Come about February, you can cut the clematis down about the time you're actually pruning the roses. So it fits in very well. If you use the early flowering clematis, you'll find it very difficult to deal with the rose and the clematis at the same time. On this pillar here, we've got a climbing rose called Creme de la Creme. And opposite is a rambler here called Valchamblau. Uh, and the, quite often there's a bit of uh, a confusion about the difference between a climber and a rambler. And we're looking at this rambler right now and we can see the difference immediately in the leaf shape. The leaves are generally speaking very much smaller than the sort of leaflets. Whereas on a climber, over like over there, they're, they're very much bigger and more glossy. Another thing to give away is the, is the flowering of it. On the creme de la creme, the flowers are, are large flowered white flowers that are in groups of two, one or two. Whereas on, a, on this rambler here, it's, although it's finished flowering now, it, you can see at the end of the growth there's a whole mass of small flowers that have passed. And that's the uh, couple of the main differences of them. Another part of it is that a rambler would send out quite a few new shoots from the base, generally speaking, whereas a, a climber will send out one or two maybe in a year, if you're lucky. The uh, clematis we got grown with this one, a particularly good clematis, this is called um, uh, Victoria. Um, it is a, a good clematis and it does cover the pillars very well. There's one or two tips about clematis that people find um, uh, a little bit difficult and that is that they do seem to go down with one disease. The main disease of that group is called clematis wilt. And it's almost like you go to bed one evening and then you wake up in the morning and your clematis looks like it's completely died and it's uh, caused by an airborne fungal disease that gets into the broken stems and then quickly travels down to the soil level and killing the plant as it goes. So the big good tip with the uh, clematis is to plant them deeper than what they were in a pot, usually about one and a half to two inches deeper than the pot. The idea behind that is that the disease travels down the stem and is neutralised on contact with the soil, it doesn't penetrate the soil, so the crown of that of the clematis is always good. Although you might have lost it for that particular season, it will come back the following year. And as I said, they're good complementary plants to go with uh, ramblers. Other clematis we've got here is another one on the right of that swag. It's called Debutante, and that's a, a really a, quite a quite an old rambler, 1920s, I think it was introduced from America. Uh, once flowering again, if I didn't have the clematis growing on with these ramblers, come September, it's when I could deal with that rose to prune it properly. And what we tend to do with Debutante especially, which is where it differs from a climber, is that we select the new stems that have risen from the base and tie those in to the pillar. If there's any gaps, I use one or two of the older stems to fill the gaps. Anything that's left over from that, our old stems, I take off cleanly at the base. With a, with a climber, you tend to build up a framework of uh, stems with the occasional new, new shoot coming up, which can replace one or two of the older ones. But with debutante especially, then you take out majority of the old stems and rely on the new stems for the flowering coming in the next season. My name's Helen Round. I'm garden manager here at Rosemore Gardens. We're standing here in Rosemore's cottage garden. Um, there's a wide range of plants in here. Um, 
There's a few trees, some shrubs and also herbaceous. And also what makes the cottage garden special is that you've also got the opportunity to use a range of biannuals, annuals in here. In the spring, we use a combination of, of biannuals, which are basically things that we grow from seed. You sow them one year, plant them that year and then they flower the next so they take two seasons to actually go from seed to flower and the ones that we're using here in the spring that I think are real cottage favourites um, there's one called Dame's Violet which the Latin name is Hesperis matronalis um, everyone who comes loves that plant it's about maybe two foot tall and has lovely purple lilac-y purple flowers on it and with that we then plant the things like Sweet Williams um, we grow one called Sooty which has got really nice lovely dark flowers which actually contrasts well with the Hesperis and then a digitalis called Pam's Choice which I first saw at Chelsea Flower Show and I saw it there and I thought we've got to have that for our cottage garden um, so the combination of the digitalis Pam's Choice the Dames Violet Hesperis and the sooty Sweet William. To me, that's a really fantastic combination for the spring cottage garden. We also use, with that combination, an Irish Germanica called Sable, which has got really dark purple flowers, and also an Allium called Purple Sensation with purple flowers. So that combination, to me, for the spring looks absolutely brilliant. The really important thing in the cottage garden in the summer, the thing that I think holds it all together is actually the shrub roses because everyone associates the English cottage garden and the rose. So we've got some nice roses in here, some of the more old-fashioned roses. Um, we've got one called Stanwell Perpetual, which has got very fine foliage. And the good thing about it is it doesn't suffer from diseases, so it doesn't get the black spot, so we haven't got a problem with having to, to treat that. Then we've also got one called Great Maiden's Blush, which is, a, again, an old-fashioned shrub rose so we've got a collection of shrub roses throughout the garden which obviously in midsummer that really holds it together and then through that we've got a good range of herbaceous perennials I think herbaceous perennials in any cottage garden are an absolute must I think it's kind of the, the balance you don't want a cottage garden to be too shrubby so you need a few choice shrubs as I said spread around but then you need a good underplanting of herbaceous perennials again cottage garden plants have got to be hardy they've got to be tough they're simple they're, they're not elaborate things like the hemerocallis the monadas eryngiums things like that nepetas just the the commonal garden um catmint you know, things, Alcamilla mollis, things that people think are the more common plants, but that is what you would find in a cottage garden, things that are tough, you know, well-proven and will come back year after year. Sometimes you get people and they come in, visitors, and they say, oh, we love this, this style of gardening, you know, what can I do at home? Well, with a cottage garden, to be honest, anything goes. You know, we, we, we're not really looking at colour combinations. You know, so really it's the plants that you like, but keep it simple. You know, don't try and overcomplicate it. So maybe, you know, don't buy one of everything. Maybe if you can, put a group of like three plants. You need the range of plants, but maybe small groups of plants that basically flower mainly in spring and summer. I don't think the cottage garden is particularly... I mean, yeah, there's structure in the cottage garden for the winter, but I think aim for your peak of flowering in, in late spring, summer. Um, definitely use some shrub roses. They're a must. And keep to the very popular basic plants, basically, that you like. My name is Matthew Biggs and I'm with Susie Hawkswell who looks after the Mediterranean garden here at Rosemore. Susie, first of all, what is a Mediterranean garden? 
Well, Mediterranean garden, it's not just kind of limited to um, countries around the Mediterranean. There's about five different Mediterranean regions throughout the world. We have plants that are specially adapted to drought conditions and sunny climates. So I see instantly here are, you know, the familiar lavenders and phlomis. But you will have plants from California... Australia, parts of New Zealand. Give some examples of these. I I noticed, first of all, you've got uh, annuals in the form of California poppies. Yes, um, at the moment what we're doing with those, we we do plant annuals every year. We um, grow them on in the nursery. Um, We're hoping to actually get these to self-seed over the next few years because we're doing some exciting developments in here. But at the moment, we sow them in the nursery and then plant them out in small pots. What what about the bulbs? Give some examples of your Mediterranean-style bulbs. Okay, we've um, planted a lot of tulips. We've got tulip accumulata. We plant alliums for interest all throughout the year from um, alliums that come out first, um, like allium gladiator, right through to allium vinal. We've got Allium giganticum. We did kind of give up on crocuses because they did. They tended to get munched before they even had a chance to kind of flower. So who's eating those? Voles and mice, and you know we have a wide range of wildlife in the garden. But but it's obvious that it's it's very successful here. It's standing, looking over the grey and the silver foliage, the, the the small mounds of plants. It looks very much like a Mediterranean hillside. But but we're in Devon. We're in a place of high rainfall. So how have you made it work? Well, this year it's been really favourable to us, the weather conditions, because we've had quite low rainfall, and of course we've had this really really hot dry spell, which has just been completely suitable for the plant so at the moment it is a blaze of colour we've um, also we're doing some exciting developments in the garden over the next two years we're resoiling some of the island beds we've got five central island beds and we've really struggled in the past with poor drainage due to Rosemore being set on heavy clay the drainage originally was really poor when the RHS got hold of the garden because this was actually based on an old tennis court there's quite a nice little story behind this area of Lady Anne's garden there's a Rosemore myth goes that her um, then husband was a real avid tennis player so this was actually a tennis court and rumour has it that he actually went away one weekend and during that weekend Lady Anne actually dug the garden up and made it into a sort of conifer stroke Mediterranean kind of garden so when the RHS actually took it over they did find some of the original kind of tarmac underneath the bed. But what you've done is you've selected or a site has been selected that's on a slope so the water drains away it's under a large oak tree with the crown lifted, so there's still light coming in, there are raised beds. So it's all geared up to sunshine uh, and, and dry conditions, and the water that obviously would accumulate if there weren't the raised beds just drains away down to the river. So that must have worked perfectly for you. Uh, and what's it like on a sunny summer day when the garden's at its peak? 
Well, you can almost imagine that you're not in Devon and you are. You can be transported to the Mediterranean. We've got a few lemon trees and other citrus trees that we bring out during the summer, so you get that a lovely aroma in the air um, and you can smell rosemary and it's been buzzing with wildlife and you know, bees and butterflies. It's really pretty, especially when the sun's shining. Matthew Biggs with members of the Rosemore Gardening Team, Susie Hawkswell, Helen Round and Phil Scott. If Matthew's trip to Rosemore has inspired you to make a visit to Devon, or indeed any of our other gardens, here's what's coming up over the next few weeks. Enjoy spectacular late summer colour at the Wisley Flower Show, a five-day floral extravaganza from the 4th to the 8th of September at RHS Garden Wisley. At Rosemore, the Plant Heritage Autumn Plant Fair takes place on the 1st of September. Choose from a wide range of rare and unusual trees, shrubs and perennials from local nurseries on display and for sale under the Plant Heritage banner, plus free talks in the Plant Centre at 11.30 and 2.30pm. Learn all about autumn lawn care at the RHS Garden Hyde Hall on the 19th of September. Give your lawn an autumn workout and reap the benefits the following spring. Book your place now. And at Harlow Carr, ask the experts on the 7th and 8th of September when the RHS advisory team will be on site at the RHS Garden Harlow Carr. Come and ask all those burning gardening questions. Details of all these events, as always, are on the website at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens. Well, we're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back next week with practical seasonal advice and much more from RHS Wisley. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. I'll leave you with some final thoughts from Matthew Biggs after a delightful day in Devon. From me, Tony Dickerson, and the rest of the podcast team, goodbye. The wonderful thing about Rosemore is that when you walk around it, you feel comfortable. It feels just like your garden. There's a sense of cohesion, and that's because there's been a master plan. And within that master plan, you have these wonderful garden rooms, which again reduces everything down to most people's everyday garden. So there's lots of ideas to come here for. Fabulous rose garden, that's absolutely gorgeous. And who can forget the impact, the vibrancy of the hot borders and then walking through to the cooler areas of the garden and to visit the original garden uh, Lady Anne's garden is a real treat you can see her mark is still there and still feel her spirit amongst the shrubs and the borders it's a magical garden it's tranquil it's peaceful there's so much here to offer the visitor it's a kind of garden that once you visit it once you just want to visit it again and again and again whatever the season 